This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. On today's show... I'll be speaking with the 15-year WNBA veteran turned Silicon Valley Bank senior associate, Elena Beard. Uh, Since we we often only hear about men who find success as an investor after a decorated career as a pro athlete, I thought it'd be a great idea to hear from a woman who's not only looking to build a strong investment portfolio for herself, but also has ambitions to increase the number of seats occupied by women at the proverbial table. As a number two overall draft pick by the Washington Mystics, a two-time WNBA Player of the Year, and a WNBA champion with the LA Sparks, Elena has always managed to find success. Elena's won championships and set records at virtually every level of competition, and now she's leveraging that same winning spirit and passion for success to fuel her second act in the hyper-competitive, male-dominated world of venture capital. So with that brief introduction, welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, Elena Beard. Malcolm, thanks for having me. Great intro. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing it. I I actually feel like I sold you a little bit short with that intro because I know you (laughs) also won some some defensive titles in the league, set a school Mm -hmm. scoring record while you were at Duke. What else did I miss in that intro? Well, I'm not sure that you sold me short because you gave me the two-time WNBA Player of the Year. I'll take that any day. Not that I was, (laughs) um, but I'll take it. Um, But I was a you know, two-time defensive player of the year. Okay. That okay. works. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I exaggerated minorly um, in my, uh, in my, uh, really in my research. I'll just say that. Um, but let's, let's start from the beginning for a moment. Hopefully the rest of my research on this is right. Um, so you're, you're from Shreveport, Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. I read somewhere that you were a big time standout while you were in high school there too. So I'm curious how you ended up in North Carolina at Duke instead of at LSU. Wow. No, that's that's a great question. And it's a question that I, you know, I've received throughout my career. Um, <laughs> I was I grew up in northwest Louisiana. Um, mm-hmm. And so at the time, Louisiana Tech was like a top three um, program and LSU was was OK. 
but they didn't necessarily touch the LSU didn't touch the recruits that were in Northwest Louisiana because they just automatically assumed that we were all mm. going to Louisiana Tech. Um, but when it came down to it, um, just sort of going through that recruiting process and understanding that as a as an athlete, you're only allowed um, five visits, right, mm -hmm. um, to to make your decision. And I think the most surprising thing through this process for everyone is that Louisiana Tech wasn't on my list um, really? as 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 my as my top five. It wasn't um, as as much of a homebody as I am and was at the time. Um, people just automatically assumed I was going there, um, but I I wanted something different. Um, and and Duke came into the picture actually at the very end of the recruiting process. Um, and I, you know, once I visited with the coaches at my house, and then I actually went went on campus. I've always been big on just letting my intuition lead me, mm -hmm. um, even at even at that early age. And and so Duke ended up being um, one of the best decisions that I've made in throughout my life. So, again, if my if my research is correct, because you already fact checked me <laughs> one time, I understand that your mom was a pretty big standout on the floor as well. Is that a fact? Okay. So, you know, I have to give you your props. So you have done your research. Um, oh, this is what and I my mom, <laughs> I, I love it. You're, you're teaching me <laughs> well right now. My mom was amazing. Um, she from Natchitoches, Louisiana, which is a, a small city about 45 minutes from Shreveport. Mm -hmm. um, she was like a, a star freshman um, who led her team back in the day. Um, probably could have had a, a scholarship, but she she blew out her knee and then a, a, maybe a couple of years later became um, pregnant with my sister. Um, but I think the, the cool story here is that when I, you know, started to develop this passion for the game, ended up, you know, going to a really good high school with a very, very good coach. He kind of just like threw my basketball number at me, my jersey. He was like, here, you're going to be number 20. I was like, all right, cool. Um, didn't really, you know, understand the importance at the time of, of numbers. And so I go and I start digging into like uh, my mom's yearbook and I saw that she was number 20 as well. And and so that number became like very, very sentimental to me. And it's something that I've, you know, tried to stick with throughout my career. But that's that's really cool. But yeah, my mom was my mom was amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, don't I don't believe either. in coincidences. So that's that's actually mm -hmm. really cool. See, I didn't know that part. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So see, there's that. Right. And I. I I want to I want to transition and talk about tech and money in a moment because obviously that's what this mm -hmm. podcast is about. But I want to stay on basketball for one more second, and I'm sure you won't mind. Specifically, <laughs> the thing I'm struck by is that once upon a time you were known for scoring, right? I mentioned you set scoring mm -hmm. title while you were in college, right? And then all of a sudden you make this drastic switch and become a lockdown defender, and as you pointed out, won some some accolades for. Uh, <laughs> being defensive player of the year right so i'm sure that had to be intentional that just doesn't happen overnight so walk us through that if you would what happened there i mean we only have an hour on this podcast I'm not sure we have enough time. <laughs> um but i i've always i'm um, building this i've always been a defender way. and <laughs> i think the one <laughs> thing that uh people you know maybe didn't understand because i am pretty ancient and old um <laughs> I, I've always been that all around player. And that was kind of like, um, th that was me. That was what I was known for. I could do it on the offensive end. I can do it on the defensive end. And I, um, I credit my high school coach for just teaching me sort of the foundation of the game, um, the fundamentals of the game, teaching me how to respect the game, 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, there were times that we would walk into the gym and we didn't touch a basketball. Hmm. Um, it was it was purely defense because in his mind, defense won championships. And that was clear considering um, the track record that he developed as a coach. And I just had the luxury of, of being a part of that. Um, but in terms of that transition um, from being sort of that franchise player, offensive score, what have you, um, I had an injury in, in 2010 and I mm-hmm. had a 10% chance of returning to the court. Um, and it took me maybe two years, a little under two years to just sort of get back into the groove of things to actually step on the court to be able to compete at a high level. Um, and so that was a life like changing moment, a career changing moment in terms of me trying to understand how do I reinvent myself? I had to understand that on upon my return to the court, I wouldn't be the same player. Mm-hmm. But before I understood that, that's what I was chasing. I was trying to get back to the same level I left at. And it wasn't until a coach in um, Israel, as I took this job in Israel, would have never taken it. Um, but because I wanted to get my rhythm back and get back to, into the groove of, um, of the game, I took this job. And so this coach, you know, he, he said to me, he was like, once you start to understand that you won't be the same person, the same player you, you were before you got injured, but it doesn't change what you're capable of doing is when you'll start to take off. And it was those words that kind of just turned on a light switch. And I was like, huh, let's figure out what I'm good at. Let, let me hang my hat on what I know. Let me hang my hat on what I know doesn't take any skill set, but it takes determination. It takes heart. It takes a matter of wanting to work hard and sacrificing yourself for your team. And that's what I built my, rebuilt myself on. Um, and so it was, it was pretty interesting. I, I, I think if anything, that's what, you know, I don't believe in awards. I don't, it's, it's fine. What have you, but the fact that I was able to become defensive player of the year mm-hmm. at the age of 36 and 37, that, that, that means a lot because I knew that's what I attempted or that's what I wanted to sort of reinvent myself into. And, and it happened. So I heard you say something yeah. in an interview that you did a ways back uh, specific to that about the fact that you felt you needed to get good at the things nobody else wanted to do. Um, and I think that's an interesting approach to take regardless of the field you're operating in, right? If you're a nurse working in a hospital, you're a teacher, you're an engineer, whatever it is, like getting really good at the things that other people don't want to do. For one thing, that's job security, right? Like you can never get mm-hmm. rid of that one, you know, Ron Artest, Dennis Rodman player that's willing to like do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. So I completely, uh, I completely understand and can can appreciate that uh, approach to it. Um, but mm-hmm. so, like, you're you're at Duke, which is a basketball powerhouse, to put it mildly, right? And you manage to stand out and set records while you're there. Then you get drafted number two overall, so expectations are high, right? And suddenly you're among the best of the best in your sport. And I imagine the competition there is something is like nothing you'd ever experienced, right? And so you're standing. Standing there on day one, you come into the, the organization, you're starting from the bottom. How do you get yourself up to speed and ready to compete at that next level that you suddenly were at? Well, I think you're explaining my current situation now because I'm a rookie all over again. Stop jumping uh, ahead. I'm doing the interview <laughs> here. Uh, but how do I get myself ahead? I'm not sure that I that I managed it within within two years. Um, it, it was all a transition. It was all a learning process. I needed to learn how to work. Mm-hmm. Um, smart and efficiently. And I can't say that I learned that 
in my in my career. Maybe the last five years of my career, when I started to understand that my body can only do so much, is when I started to take note. Um, but I'm not sure that I learned it early on, uh, Malcolm. But in terms of knowing the level of competition, right? You're going in, you understand that everybody can score. Um, everyone can defend if they want to. Everyone's just as, as athletic as you. Um, it took me a lot of time to understand that I could do things a little differently. And once I learned that is when my career started to just really flourish and take off and is when we won a championship as well. And that didn't happen until the 13th, 14th year in my career. Wow. So mm -hmm. something to be said for persistence, uh, <laughs> if right. nothing else. Um, but so, okay, so you, you kind of unveiled sort of where I was going with this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this grand uh, line of questioning that I had, you know, mm -hmm. initially laid out for you. One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on this podcast is because when we hear about pro athletes who transition out of their respective sport, it's them going into broadcasting or something directly aligned with the sport they just left. And you've done that too, right? You're a broadcaster for the ACC network and you get paid to discuss basketball for novices like me watching at home, right? But then there's also the side of you that said, I don't just want to stick to the rivers and the lakes that I'm used to, right? I want to venture out and into the unknown and actually learn about a different industry with, uh, you know, I'm sure the expectations that you're going to dominate just like you've done it, everything else. And so that's really interesting to me. Um, that's, that's one of the really interesting things to me about your story uh, and this new journey that you're on. The fact that you mm -hmm. didn't decide to just kind of lean on what you already knew, you've, you've decided to just completely blow it up and start from scratch. Um, right. And, that, and that's <laughs> why we're talking. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you could have said it sort of any better. I've always, um, I've been adamant about preparing for life after basketball and understanding that basketball wasn't the end of everything. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I challenged myself beyond the sport because I knew that, and I know that if I wanted a job in the basketball world in whatever capacity um, I chose, it would be an absolute yes. Um, and that's not what I wanted because I know that if I ventured out, which I have done into this financial world that I know nothing about other than what I've done with self-educating myself before taking this position at SVB Capital, um, I would have been sort of selling myself short. Mm -hmm. um, I know that if I fail, which I won't, but if I fail at this, I can always go back and say, I want to coach, I want to teach, I want mm -hmm. to mentor. Um, because again, I love doing that. I love everything about it. Um, but I know that that's the easy route and I've never chosen anything easy in my life, which it, which it started with me going to Duke um, mm. and leaving home and knowing that I'm a homebody, crying for two hours. I mean, two yeah. years, two to three years. Every time my parents came and left, that was hard. Um, no one thought that I would sort of make it. My parents offered to move my mom to North Carolina. I said, no, I got to get through this. And so those are all the experience that I can draw on right now to get me through sort of the early stages of this new transition that I am a complete rookie in again. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I don't believe in coincidence. Like imagine if you did end up at La Tech and, you know, things were super simple. Um, you know, as far as having the family around and all that kind of stuff, like 
Absolutely. we may not be having this conversation about where you are now because you would have still been in your comfort zone. And the thing I love to say is like the the really good things in life tend to reside like right outside of your comfort zone. So like if you just mm-hmm. are willing to stretch your arm just a little bit outside of your comfort zone, that's usually where the best stuff is. Um, so interesting enough. Like as yeah, we but talk you about also you have to your... understand. Not, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you also have to understand that um, outside of that comfort zone is not instant gratification. Hmm. Um, and and I think that's what people sort of lose sight of. Like, yeah, I'm challenging myself. I'm stepping outside of this comfort zone, but it's not working the way that I want it to work. And I've mm-hmm. been in this for like a year. That's not the way life works. That's not the way the process works. And so I think the quicker an individual understands that you have to put in the time, you have to go through um, those learning curves to where, and I'm going to speak as I'm going to try to be as transparent as possible, where I, within the last nine months, I've gone to bed with tears in my eyes. I've Hmm. woken up um, with tears in my eyes. I've told myself, it's no way that I can do this. Um, I'm not having fun. I don't like it. But at the end of the day, something happens mm-hmm. and then it motivates you differently. Um, so that's where I am right now. So I really appreciate you sharing that for like a bunch of different reasons, but I'll try and be specific. Like there's the fact that when we talk about our uh, lives and our careers, especially, we love to only talk about peak to peak to peak to peak. Right. Like mm-hmm. I did this thing. I got good at it. Then I did this next thing. I was really good at that too. And then I was really good at the third thing that I did, but nobody ever really talks about the valleys in between and how hard it is to get to that next peak. And so I really appreciate you kind of sharing and being uh, transparent in that way. And then also like, you know, the people watching from afar, right? Like we see you, but we don't know you necessarily as we turn on ESPN and see you on the floor uh, hoisting a trophy and, (laughs) and, and celebrating. Right. But Mm -hmm. we don't know all the other stuff that went on in the background and got you to that point. Right. So I can see you in in your LinkedIn profile and all the different things you add to it that tell me that you're having success. But I don't know all the stuff that's happening at night when you go home with your family and you're kind of thinking about it going, man, am I doing the right thing? So it's really Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. And I appreciate that you're willing to be. Uh, that honest about it because you know everybody isn't always Um, but so you know and I I imagine too you having done this for so long like one of the things that separates really great athletes at the professional level from you know 12th person on the bench is the fact that like you're willing to continuously do the things that other people aren't willing to do even when Mm -hmm. you can't completely see the payoff just yet, if that makes sense. Like you can't quite see, you know, yourself hitting that shot that wins your team the game in that moment. You just know you're exhausted and this is what you need to do. So you do it, but you don't necessarily know what's there. And so mindset I'm sure has to play a big role in helping to kind of keep you on the tracks on those days that you're describing where, you know, you're in the car, you're wherever, and you're with yourself and you're thinking like, am I doing, you know, the right thing. I imagine there has to be something you were able to recall from that experience, highly anticipated college player coming into the league, starting from the bottom. I'm sure you had to be able to draw something from that experience with this new one uh, that you're, you're going through now. No, I, I, I'm drawing everything from it. Um, You know, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's moments where um, 
you know, I'm, I'm doing this work. I'm frustrated. I'm spending hours on just this one thing. I feel like I'm not keeping pace um, or that I'm not capable. Of, but at the same time, the experience that I continue to draw on is the period of my of of my return to the court hmm. and how I felt the same way of, of wanting to give up. How when I was injured, I was putting in no lie eight hours a day just rehabbing, rehabbing. They only required me to do two hours a day. No, mm -hmm. two hours wasn't enough for me because I knew what I needed from a mental perspective to get back to where I wanted to be. Um, and I also think, I think the one thing that a lot of people forget is just as you're training the skill sets, you're, you have to train your mind. You have to train your, your ability to mentally digest everything that comes at you. And I think people um, leave that out um, because your mind can can definitely get the best of you if you allow it to. Um, but you you made sort of the um, correlation with sort of, you know, basketball and, and, and people not really understanding what goes on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take this a bit off the rails a little bit, but The Last Dance, the documentary, mm -hmm. I truly enjoyed that documentary because I grew up in the era of the Scottie Pippins and the Michael Jordans mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. watching these guys compete and to see what they went through on a daily basis. A player as elite as Michael Jordan had the same challenges that I had as a hmm. basketball player but, and also in life in this transition that I'm in. It, I mean, it meant everything um, to me to, to be able to see that. <laughs> it, it was pretty powerful. <laughs> you're uh, you're a little bit blessed in in that way that you got to watch the full documentary uninterrupted. But I won't uh, I won't I won't get too deep into that one. So I imagine one of the best things about being a pro athlete is that at some point your season's over, right? And you have some time to yourself in the off season to focus on other things, right? So what sort of work had you been doing in the background? You kind of alluded to this a little bit um, while you were still active in the league in those last few years to mm -hmm. prepare yourself for your new career in venture capital. Um, just to give you a little context for WNBA players, uh, I would say 90 plus percent of the WNBA players after our WNBA season, we go overseas and play. Um, so we have, we play year round. Hmm. Right. So that's why I've been sort of blessed to, to have the opportunity to play in, I think, 27 countries because of the game of basketball. Um, and of those 27, I would say six or seven for six months at a time. Right. Wow. Um, and so not we don't have a lot of time as female basketball players to just really dig in into that life after mm -hmm. after basketball. Um, and so just as unfortunate as my injury was in 2010, it was such a blessing because I took it upon myself. That's when I started doing internships and, and, and following sort of my passion of franchising, something I've always wanted to do. So I ended up doing an internship with the CEO of Jamba Juice, um, James White at the time, because I was in love with Smoothie Kings. Obviously it originated and headquartered in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I did not know that, okay. Yeah, so after like every practice um, in high school, I would just drive over to the Smoothie King, get a smoothie. And so I, I was like, why am I spending all this money on Smoothie King smoothies when I can just own my, my own? And so that's when mm -hmm. I started digging in a little bit into the franchising side of things. So that was that started early on. Again, I took it to another level in 2010 with the internship. And then from that point on, I kind of just started saying yes 
Yes, hmm. yes, to every opportunity that came my way, every introduction. And I think that's where a lot of athletes uh, fail, right? Because we're so protected um, with who we let into our circle mm-hmm. to where if someone says, hey, I want to introduce you to this person, um, you're hesitant, right? You don't take the introduction, whereas you should take the introduction and you should allow your intuition to tell you, uh, give you feedback on this person. Um, and so that's what I that's what I've done my entire career. Um, and so I, I don't want to jump ahead in the podcast. So cut me off if I am. Mm, um, you don't care. That's how. That is cool. <laughs> that's how I got to the position with uh, SVB Capital is because I decided in the off season in 2018 mm-hmm. to do a fellowship with Ryan Niece of Next Play Capital. He's a managing partner of Next Play Capital, who's become a great mentor of mine. And and he, and he's a he's a fund of funds. He he has a lot of athletes on board as LPs. Mm-hmm. They you know do the they do fund obviously fund the funds, but they also have a co investment vehicle as well. Did and so Ryan I play said ball yes somewhere else himself. I know he knows a ton of he, athletes personally. He played. Um, he's a he's a NFL champion. Okay. okay. Um, played with uh, Tampa. Apparently, I didn't do enough and, research. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, and his <laughs> father. You know who his father is. I Ryan don't. Lott. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So he's, um, he's, he's in it. Um, and so it, it, it was really cool to do that, that, um, fellowship with him. Um, and I, so you had been doing a, a ton of networking then in that, oh, what, yeah. would you say last two or three years? Uh, I would say that the networking picked up the last three years. Um, yeah. but I would, like I said beforehand, I would say yes to, to every introduction and every phone call, even if I didn't know what I wanted the phone call to be. About. That to me is like the most, <laughs> the most valuable business skill there is networking. And I think people underestimate the value of building relationships before you actually need them. Um, but you know, anyway, I won't get too deep into that. That's a totally different topic for a totally different show. Um, and you started to allude to, you know, the, the way that the Silicon Valley bank opportunity came to be that introduction, mm-hmm. uh, through Ryan and I completely cut you off. Um, but I know yeah. SVB is a pretty tough, uh, organization to get into. That's a very competitive place to submit a resume to. So, you know, mm-hmm. how'd that come to be? Yeah. Um, said there are no coincidences um (laughs) a good mentor of mine said coincidences is god's way of staying out of the way (laughs) um and i love that um so throughout my uh fellowship with uh with ryan niece one of the things he would do is put on like these tours for you know his lps whether it's bringing them out to silicon valley to um do tours of startups and vc firms are um putting together a tour at the ces which is the largest tech conference um, in in the world, I think. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. I'll let you do that research. <laughs> um, and so we were on that tour. We ended up uh, having uh, an event within our, our schedule, which was a happy hour. And obviously when you, you know, you walk into this happy hour event, I don't look like anyone in that room. First of all, mm-hmm. I'm taller than everyone. Second of all, I'm <laughs> black. Third, I'm a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, People are intrigued, like, you know, like, why, you know, tell me your story. What's your story? So John Chena, um, who is the president of SVB Capital, came up to me and, you know, started, you know, chatting with me. We hit it off right off the bat. He's like, oh, I got to introduce you to, to Mike Deschanel, who was there. Mike Deschanel is the president of SVB. Hmm. 
And um, we hit it off. I got their information, started cultivating that relationship, more so with Mike Deschanel because he's based out of Virginia, and hit it off. And so he started to, wait, let me back up a little bit. So I reached mm -hmm. out to him um, and it, it was simply just to have an informational meeting, right? Like, hey, Mike, I'm thinking about this, this, and this. I would love to get your advice and feedback. He was like, yeah, come into the office. Let's talk about it. Went in, talked about it. He, you know, heard my story, um, knowing that I have sort of the eventual goal of, of building up my own firm. Mm -hmm. um, he was like, you know what? Um, I was like, and I'm thinking about going, you know, back and getting my MBA. What do you think about it? And his advice to me was, you're at the time 37. You're going to go and you're going to spend two years out of your life getting your MBA. You're mm -hmm. going to graduate from, from business school and you're going to come out and they're going to say you still don't have the experience to compete hmm. at a certain level. He said, why, why don't we do this? I think we can maybe find something for you. Um, let's, let's, let's see how we can make it to where you're learning you're, and you're getting the experience at the same time. And if you want to potentially go for your executive MBA, maybe you should do that. And so that's how this, um, this relationship sort of evolved. And that's how I became a part of SGV Capital. Interesting. So I, I think what you've just kind of convinced me is that I need to change my personal philosophy around the power of no, because I'm trying to do a better job of saying no to more things, uh, to clear mm -hmm. my calendar, to, you know, do the other things that I need to be available to do. But I think what you may have just convinced me is that there's a season to say yes and a season to say no. Absolutely. Right. Like when you need to be open to opportunities to allow serendipity, basically, like you just described to come mm -hmm. along and come into your life, then do so. But then at the times when you need to be kind of picking and choosing what things you are going to do, because there's sort of an abundance at that point, then learning, the, you know, to, to turn on uh, the no filter. So maybe I'll tweak that as far as my uh, my my, my yeah, life mantras you, and such. Maybe you should or maybe you shouldn't. Right. Like I, I had the the luxury of, of saying yes to everything. Now that mm -hmm. I've transitioned, I've been here for nine months. I, I see the power of no, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a balance that I have to strike as well. So I think we're both in the same belt, uh, um, boat just at different moments in our life. But I know as a public-facing person, uh, even though I know you are a fairly private person in real life, people see you and probably feel like they know you, right? They've seen you on TV. They've heard your voice, they, you know, what have you. So you're getting people pitching you investment opportunities all the time. What advice do you have for navigating that? So I know, you know, we have quite a folks listening to this who maybe aren't pro athletes, but in some cases they're compensated just as well being tech executives. Right. So what advice do you have maybe for filtering through all of those pitches to invest in this idea or, or come do that thing um, to get to mm -hmm. the right fit? Intuition. Hmm. That's what okay. I lean heavily on. I mentioned it early on. That's what early on in my life. Um, making a decision to go to Duke, I, it was all based off of feel, right? But feel and intuition is one factor, but it's the main factor for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think the second approach to that is just um, digging into your network and doing as much due diligence as you can. For example, um, I know that we're, you know, we're speaking about tech, and I, I think this this transfers as well. Anytime I met anyone that I wanted to. Uh, engage a little bit more than the usual introduction. 
I did a background check on. I did, mm-hmm. I do deep diligence on to understand who this individual is at core. And I think, I think you can take that same approach to sort of the investment world, right? If you, if you feel good about this deal, if you feel good about this pitch, take it to step two. Step two is digging into your network, asking the right questions, asking all the questions um, deemed appropriate for this deal. And then step three is, is basically just making a decision um, to, to move forward with the engagement. I'm really glad to hear that filter. Like I, 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 I don't ever want to see you on any sad 30 for 30 documentaries. <laughs> so I'm really glad to hear that, that that's how much, you know, you run it through. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to get back to sort of where we were supposed to be for a second. Um, because, you know, we, we talked briefly about Silicon Valley bank. And as I said, it's kind of a, a tough area to break into, but SVB is pretty broad in the scope of what they have access to, right? The term venture capital can be, uh, very open and some prefer only to get in at the seed stage. Others prefer only to get in on a series C when there's a clear path to, to a clear path to IPO, excuse me. Um, what sorts of industries and companies are you most interested in so far? God, I, you know, you mentioned it, right? Like, uh, SVB is at the epicenter of it all, right? We, we bank, 70 plus percent of all the venture capital firms in the U.S., but we also bank uh, 60% of all the startups in, in, in Silicon Valley. Hmm. Um, and, and to take it a little bit further, I think we had, and don't quote me on these numbers, but I think we had 16 IPOs last year, and I would say that wow. SVB had 60% or plus of those IPOs in their portfolio. So it, in, in terms of digging into what I'm interested in, it's so much coming at me and it's a matter of me figuring out where I'm going to hang my hat on. And I think I'm leaning more towards the consumer space um, with, with the, with the narrow focus potentially on the education and ed tech hmm. space. Um, because I think that could potentially tie in to a few other things that I don't want to get into detail about um, yeah. in the long run. So you mentioned Israel for a second, and I know you've also played basketball overseas in a ton of other places, right? You spent quite a bit of time outside of the U.S. Uh, do you think that global exposure has shaped the way you think about and approach investment opportunities at all? Um, I'm not sure that it, it, it has shaped like um, an investment approach or, or how I approach those opportunities. Um, if anything, I, I believe that I've always had sort of an open mind towards uh, everything, Right. And Mm -hmm. I trust that I'll make the decisions that are appropriate for myself and my family. Um, Hmm. But in terms of just gaining a broader perspective on just life, absolutely. Having the opportunity to travel all over the world definitely shaped how I think, um, just from a personal perspective, which then translate to sort of the investment approach, um, potentially could translate to the investment approach, potentially. So you dropped a juicy little nugget at the top of this that I want to circle back to. You said you said that one of the things you're most interested in doing now is cultivating a platform for your fellow women athletes. And I, I believe you mean for your fellow women athletes to break into venture capital. Why is that mm-hmm. something that's important for you? Um, it's, it's important because of what I... I personally have the privilege of, of seeing from the seat that I, I'm sitting in. Hmm. Um, a lot of our male counterparts have a, a ton of capital. We all know mm-hmm. that is public. 
Um, and they get every single opportunity thrown at them, right? For instance, you got this Airbnb that just went IPO. I guarantee you there are multiple guys in the in, in that boat, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're making a, a nice return on that IPO. Why can't the women have that same opportunity? And yes, our salaries are public. Yes, it's known that we don't make nearly as much as our male counterparts, but at the same time, I believe in co- collaborative economics. I believe in sharing the wealth. If we can pull together um, our capital mm-hmm. and invest in the things that we're interested in, we're not only creating opportunities for ourselves, but we're creating opportunities for the next generation. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just with athletes. I just think we have a platform and we need to use it as, as, as much as we can while we can. And, and that's why I'm at sort of SVB right now, because I am very, very hesitant to speak on anything that I don't know very much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm going to approach my um, former colleagues at the WNBA and say, hey, you know, maybe you should look at this. Um, maybe you should take a chance on this. I want to be in the position to tell them why they should take a chance on it and tell them that I'm taking a chance on it as well because of this, this and that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's why I'm positioning myself um, the way I am right now. And on top of the work you're doing in VC, I know you're also working on building out some educational programs in your hometown mm-hmm. of Shreveport to help develop the yeah. the youth there. So you're obviously constantly worried about everybody else. Um, yeah. What what is that about? Tell us about that. Like, do you not have do you not feel like you've done enough already? No, I, I haven't. Basketball was only. Um... Basketball is my passion, my purpose. Mm-hmm. I've yet to match my purpose on, on this earth, right? I, I've been blessed. And granted, we've spoken about it this entire podcast on the, you know, fortunes that I've had. My my job is to make sure that others um, after me have those same opportunities. So um, creating a, a, a foundation within Shreveport is something that I've always been passionate about, but I've also been adamant about doing it the right way. And now I'm in a position to where I have the time, I have the resources, and I can dig into my network to develop an ecosystem to where we're strengthening the youth developmental um, uh, ecosystem within the, across the American South, right? Hmm. And so what that could potentially, not could, but would entail is that we would create this network effect, right? To where we go in, we see that there are a lot of, a lot of established organizations within Shreveport to where they're mentoring, to where they're giving of their time, but they just don't have the resources to sustain it at a high level and give these kids what they deserve. So mm-hmm. my goal is to work in, in, in relation with mentor.org, which is a nationally funded um, organization, to build out this mentoring framework to, um, to offer it to the organizations that are already established in Shreveport. Um, and that's just the beginning of, of what we want to do. At some point, I would love to tie the investment platform into the foundation as well to the point to where we're investing in underrepresented founders who mm-hmm. are creating these educational products that we could potentially use and implement within the communities that we're working in. Um, so I haven't like really figured out all the nuances of it, but at some point I will. Wow. That was a lot. I mean, you're doing a lot. Um, that, that, you know, that, that's one of the reasons I, 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 you know, begged you so much to, to come and spend this time with me. So my, uh, my final question, and this is, this is my favorite question actually that I love to ask, uh, every guest who, who comes on. So let's Mm -hmm. say you were born a foot shorter, right? So basketball never happened. Mm -hmm. 
but money wasn't a factor in your decision at all, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Uh, the Malcolm podcast. <laughs> no, what do I think I would be doing right now, right? Um, goodness gracious. I, I should have read the questions that you sent over. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I'm not sure that I can answer that. You said if money wasn't a factor, if I was yep, a money's shorter. no money's not a factor. You 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 you're financially covered as much as you need to be. Mm-hmm. Oh well, what's the financially covered as much as I need to be? Yeah, got it. Um, I would be doing what I'm doing with the three one eight foundation, um, one hundred percent, full force. So I'm creating youth. opportunities for for our youth. Okay. See, that wasn't so hard. See, you you yeah, you no. you, you act like that. I asked you to solve, you know, pi past the third <laughs> well, digit or you whatever. You threw a it foot is. shorter in there. What what does a foot shorter have to do with anything? You could have just oh, said, well, "Hey, you know, if you, if, you, you if you didn't have the talent okay. to play, that would make more sense." But you can edit that too. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> Um, but no, this was this was great. I, I, I really appreciate you you spending, you know, some time with us to uh, to do this, to talk to us about your your second act and kind of bring us along that that journey and kind of drop those nuggets of, of wisdom of how, you know, folks can can apply these things to their own career and their own journey. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this was this was awesome. Much appreciated. No, I, I, I've been hearing about this podcast for some time now, and it's been it's been such a privilege to, to join my mau mau you're probably going to edit that too right? i definitely am. um but it, absolutely but it's been a privilege to to be on and, and support what you're doing because i i keep up with you um we don't talk much but um i admire you from afar for sure well i certainly appreciate that eric why don't you go ahead and take us home man absolutely i've got three things real quick number one we keep mau mau i don't know what that's all about <laughs> but we keep that <laughs> number two uh, being on this podcast with Malcolm has been a blessing to me, uh, as well, but he has never asked anybody to be a foot shorter. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. That's perfect. Uh, and then I just want to make a comment to both of you. One thing that was so powerful that I've seen with Malcolm and Elena, I'm so pleased to meet you is that when you guys were talking earlier about stretching and reaching beyond that comfort zone, I think too many people don't understand that that's a muscle that you have to exercise all the time. Um, as we get older, I think a lot of times we try to not reach through that comfort zone outside of our comfort zone so much. And then that muscle atrophies and we just do it less and less and less. So you both are amazing examples of people who are continually stretching that muscle, continually working that muscle to continue to develop it. And, and you're not going to lose that. So I hope that people understand that it's not something you just decided to do one day and it, it worked perfectly. So again, that's just my two cents means nothing. We can edit it out if we want, <laughs> but, um, it was fantastic. So Elena, thank you so much for being here. Malcolm, of course, thank you for bringing her on the show. It was outstanding. And of course, last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to the tech money podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below this way. When Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. 
And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Crowdmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...